We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Friday, the 17th day of June, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and somewhere between iconic and psychotic, the fan favorite, Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? I'm, I'm fairly good. Thank you very much for asking. Yes. Um, hope you guys are too. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. I'm sorry for being about 10 minutes late. Uh, I've been running myself ragged this evening, but uh, trying to get everything done and be here on time. So I do apologize. And joining us today. Yeah. And joining us today so graciously, having his electricity back hopefully hopefully for good this time he's had electrical problems the last three days that we've tried to podcast uh he was on a barn burner of a rant yesterday and the day before too as well and he's just he's lost power right at the end of it and it hasn't come back for three to five hours or in some cases longer but um bruce how are you healthy and alive um glad to have air conditioning yeah it was uh uh the power went out for i don't know like three hours or so yesterday. Uh, but apparently yesterday's outage was them doing uh, upgrades and supposedly they fixed the problem of the snakes getting into the Transformers. So is there a movie made we'll about see. that? Snakes in a Transformer? Like we had snakes <laughs> on a plane, isn't it? We have snakes on a yeah. Transformer. Yeah, yeah, maybe at this point, it, it feels like it's a movie. It does, doesn't it? Only in Oklahoma, right? But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna waste any time on uh, on nonsensical conversation today because we're gonna talk about something a little different. We might get to some uh, some COVID stuff because we do have some things on some of the uh, the prominent individuals that have come down with COVID uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, so we, I suppose we can talk about that because that's just funny. But Marty, I wanted to discuss one particular thing with you, and that is we're hearing a lot of things on the EU side of things of this. Um, how do I put this? Um, I really don't even I don't know the proper term for it. So I'm just going to say it. The deportations of illegal migrants in the UK to Rwanda. First of all, could you explain to us what that is, why they're doing it? And more importantly, on the back end of it, why is the EU putting a stop to it when you're not even in the European Union any longer? All right. OK, I've actually got quite a complex opinion about this whole thing. Effectively. The idea, so it is posed by our government, is that they are making the idea of coming across, being trafficked across the channel in small, rigid, inflatable boats, you know, overloaded, risk of death from drowning. Um, they're making that unpopular or, or less favourable because anyone who is picked up as an illegal immigrant, having crossed the channel in that method, will be flown to Rian. Rwanda for processing. The British government has got an agreement with the Rwandan administration to uh, pay them, I think it's around about £5 million per week to run a immigration processing centre. So that's the idea. The idea is people coming across illegally are going to think twice about it because they will be immediately deported to Rwanda. Uh, although it's not deportation, because deportation carries um, other legal consequences. It, it is basically they will be removed from the country and processed for asylum seeking and immigration purposes in Rwanda. So does that explain that bit? That part, yes. OK, what was the next question? Well, the next question is, why is the European Union stepping in to block this, which they oh, already yeah. have, by the way? Um, I actually I yeah. have that right here. As a matter of fact, this is the actual document from the European Court of Human Rights. Uh, exactly. And blocked this. Because because when we when we left the EU, we did not withdraw from the European Court of Human Rights. We are still subject to their rulings. And the the Human Rights Bill was largely written by 
British uh, legal experts, British judges, and therefore we didn't see a problem remaining in it and 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 keeping the European Court of Human Rights as one of our higher level courts. So each individual immigrant, migrant, asylum seeker, whatever name you'd like to give them, insert pronoun here, who were nominated to go on these flights or on, on this first flight at least, had a legal team representing them at British taxpayers' expense. So the human rights lawyers are, are making big bucks as usual. And eventually, after several of the appeals were turned down, one made it through. So it stopped the whole flight. So no one flew to Rwanda as of yet. Well, um, I just so happen to have, and I'm not sure if you've seen this yet, I just so happen to have the facility that's being paid for by the British taxpayer to process them once they arrive, uh, which of course the flight has been blocked. Uh, but let's just suppose for the moment that the next one and the one after that, one after that is going to go into effect and it's actually going to happen. This is the facility where uh, they will be taken. Now, as you can see, these facilities that they're going to be housed at, I mean, this is I mean, this is substandard at best, uh, as you can see, the types of conditions that they're going to have to uh, they're, they're going to have to uh, endure while they're there. Um, these, these are just these are well, this is this is unacceptable, really. If you, if you think about it, I mean, is it not? Well, for the purpose of the listener, uh, or for the sake of the listener, what what we're looking at are some <laughs> newly built apartments. <laughs> it's, a it's, uh, I've not stayed in a place yeah. this nice on most of my holidays. Well. It, it looks very much like um, my first villa in in Alain in Abu Dhabi. There's spacious rooms. Um, it's beautiful sunshine outside. Amazing courtyards. Well kept. Yeah, manicured manicured gardens. Look at that view. Oh, look at the look from the terrace. Scenery. Look at that. <laughs> look at that. Yeah, it's uh, you know there, there's a balcony there overlooking uh, a valley full of um, red tiled roofs. Uh, and considering that Rwanda was a war torn country not so long ago, they've made leaps and bounds in in creating a nice place for people to live. All of which is sponsored through organizations like the United Nations um, who who diverted funds in that direction and now the British government have found a way of putting money back into Rwanda as I said when we when I started to talk about this I've got a very complex view of it all or an opinion which of course you are entitled to I don't want my country just yet to remove itself from the jurisdiction of the European Court of Human Rights. And the reason for that is because I don't trust my government. And there has to be some kind of recourse, some um, pathway to put a protest in about some of the things that my government seem to want to do to the people who are legal citizens of the UK, never mind illegal immigrants. So... On one hand, I'm in favour of the European Court of Human Rights. On the other hand, I I absolutely find it amazing that they are interfering with this process. And there's a third element to it as well. But first of all, if this process is allowed to happen, the traffickers will lose their business. People will just go straight to Rwanda. All the, the people from sub-Saharan Africa who are trying to make these migrations, the people from the Middle East, instead of risking their lives crossing the English Channel, there's almost a land route round to, to Africa, into, into East yeah. Africa and then yeah. into Central Africa. And China is, um, has been instrumental in building part of that route as well, which China wants to colonize Africa, that we know. And if they can dispense with a lot of the native populations and dump them on our doorstep, then what better way? Well... They also need people to to perform the jobs that in in the the facilities that they're building as well, which is, I think is why Africa is being repopulated. We've already got the the climate change people talking about the fact that Africans are going to be displaced by climate change. The fact that the food shortages are being created by bad government, bad farming. People who have been farming in South Africa and Zimbabwe for generations have been dispossessed of their land and it's been given to 
to black Africans. And they have no clue, many of them have no clue, on how to get the best from that land and how to produce food that was feeding much of the continent. Um, Rwanda looks to me like it's, um, you know, going to be the kind of place where where food is grown, where businesses can thrive and so on. And yes, the Chinese have, have got, well, they basically own Africa now. They, they, they bought everything. So yeah, last century, we, we is, the Europeans and Western civilization had it. And now it's, it's moved over to China with all the various business dealings that they've had uh, since the 1990s. Yeah. And I believe that this creation of of the flow of people stems back to a 1920s plan by Count Kudenhof Kalergi, you know, the the founder of the League of Nations, which is now the UN, and it is to create that that race of of zero asset people who will do any job they are given, and and I think that is also part of this plan from the British government. I say the British government, I mean the WEF puppets within the British government that are bringing these kind of policies into force. Because when you think about it, it's it's fairly inhumane to take someone who has perhaps escaped a war-torn country, and some of these migrants certainly have. Many of them, though, are financial migrants. They're, they're coming here to earn money, to send it back to their country, to their families, and they're doing it illegally. So they should be stopped. But at the same time, amongst their number are these legitimate asylum seekers who deserve to be treated a little bit better than to be bundled onto an aircraft and sent to the middle of Africa for the Chinese to employ them however they see fit. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's a complex it's a complex situation. And I've got a huge degree of mistrust about the motives behind it. The stated motives, you know heard out of the mouth of Boris Johnson are that it is to discourage the channel crossing, the, the illegal crossing in small boats. This but is Boris Johnson the, said it, so it must be a lie. This is uh, this is also something that Nigel Farage covered not too long ago, did he not? He did a special on his uh, on his program. Is that right? Yeah. And, and this morning, um, I'm sure I've seen something where Farage is decrying the European Court of Human, Human Rights' well, ability Soros. to stop it from happening. Yeah, because well, Soros. That my gripe with the European Court of Human Rights. My my gripe with that court started with COVID, and the reason it started is because uh, they leaned Soros and company leaned on it and said, "No, you need to make sure that you rule that mandatory COVID vaccinations for European citizens are legal." That's my problem. Well, right there, but. They didn't manage to do that, did they? They because did. They well, they they might have done for Europe. They certainly didn't for the UK because no, we managed to leave. Yeah. yeah. However, we are still paying attention to their rulings. I imagine that had more to do with the European Commission um, wanting it to happen than the yeah. Court of Human Rights deciding that that was the best course of action. And if they were lent on by Soros and his foundations and his cronies, then. That needed to be made public, but of course it it wasn't. Otherwise, there, there there would have been a lot more pushback against that idea. No, you're right. You're right. Since you mentioned climate change, I mean, let's let's just go ahead and look at it. Why not? Right? Has it been kind of hot over there in the UK? It has, hasn't it? You said that it's been kind of warm, but you've got rain on the way. Is that is that right? We have a saying uh, in the navy, which is it's hotter than a Janadocky's starboard hoggy pocket, That's which means it, it's war that. it's warmer. Than, than where a Plymouth dockyard worker keeps his pack lunch. So yeah, it, it's very hot. Okay. All right. Well, this headline here out of Sky News, which we all know how reliable they are. Um, hottest day of the year recorded as the UK braces for 34 degrees Celsius heat with expert warning of rare climate change event. The hottest day of the year so far has been recorded in St. James Park in central London, where the mercury soared to 28 degrees Celsius on Wednesday, and it is expected to be beaten later this week. Um, I'm not sure, but I believe we call this summer, do we not? Uh, yeah, particularly in the UK, we go through about three or four really bad summers, but you have five minutes of summer. There's a band called that, I think. Uh, <laughs> and. <minutes> um, <laughs> Yeah, there is. There's a band called Five Minutes of Summer. And then we have a good summer. I can remember some really, really good summers from, from my childhood. And they were very, very hot 
and quite enjoyable. But we're being told that this is not normal, that this this shouldn't be happening. And so far, I've I've got to say, even though it has the you know, it's been hit, hitting thirty degrees around here, um, which is thirty degrees Celsius, which is quite warm when you don't have air conditioning. Um, it hasn't been that uncomfortable. And of course, with warm weather, you know what comes with that. Of course, you do, right? Yeah. Well, well, Beer. well, n- not uh, really. N- now, now, because and it's climate change, right? So we discussed this the other day, but you weren't here for it. A terrifying phenomenon is becoming increasingly common because of climate change. Scientists studying temperature at which humans spontaneously die with increasing urgency. I would have expected to have seen that happen. Um, during my 10 years living in Abu Dhabi and Dubai and Alain it's and very Saudi hot Arabia. In, <laughs> it is very hot. <laughs> um, it's 50 degrees and I didn't see anybody suddenly die. Uh, and it's 50 degrees for most of the year. So what kind of utter bollocks is this? You know what this is. This is them trying to cover up more of their tracks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're finding anything that it can be blamed on, and people are stupid enough to to believe it in some cases. Ned is going to be on tomorrow night. I hope. Yeah, he's found some Monday, stuff Monday for it's, our uh, it's, for our regular listeners. It's now. gonna it's gonna blow people's minds a little, but I, I promised him I'd say nothing more. Yeah, it's it's going to be good tomorrow with Ned. Well, keeping with the uh, the interest of COVID, uh, which I knew we were kind of we were going to drift into this anyway because we have to. This was Senator Rand Paul who sat down with Dr. Fauci just the other day in the Senate. Let's hear what he had to say. Can you tell me that you have not received a royalty from any entity that you ever oversaw the distribution of money in research grants? Um. Well, first of all, let's talk about royalties. That's the question. No, that's the question. Have oh, you ever no, overseen, Senator, have you ever received a royalty plan. payment from a company that you later oversaw money going to that company? You know, I don't know as a fact, but I doubt it. I well, well here's the go- thing is, why don't you let us know? Why don't you reveal uh, how much you've gotten and from what entities? The NIH okay, refuses. Senator, Look, Senator. we ask them. We ask them, the NIH, we ask them whether or not who got it and how much. They refuse right. to tell us. They sent it redacted. In the beginning, uh, you, you noticed that he was getting hounded by Senator Rand Paul. And all of a sudden, well, just as fate would have it, uh, guess what happened to the sainted Dr. Anthony Fauci? He just happens to have... COVID-19. Now he is, he's double vaxxed and and triple boosted, I think. uh, And he has tested positive for COVID-19. So unfortunately, he's no longer able to make any more appearances at any more Senate hearings. Um, Oh dear, how sad. Never mind. Because if he can't appear, then that gives them more time to gather the evidence and then really hit him in the courts when when his trial comes up. The thing is, you should never ask a question that you don't already know the answer to in any kind of legal proceeding. And I've got to try really hard not to call him RuPaul because that's a that's a drag act, not the senator. Rand Paul, I apologise, but he knows he knows what the answer to that question is, and he knows that Fauci has received royalties from organisations that he's then gone on to forward a grant to from the foundations from from the various organizations that he has such influence over and he's he is filthy dirty corrupt and as i say on the in, intro he should be clapped in irons and put in the darkest hole that can be found and the sooner that happens the better but you you taught me the phrase about bread and circuses and surely that's all this this televising of of the Senate is at the moment. It's bread and circuses. It's not achieving anything because if it was achieving anything, Fauci would be where I want him to be. Part of the part of the reason he didn't bring um, those facts forward is, as he said, um, all of that information that they receive from the other government organizations is redacted. They won't show any kind of uh, connections that Fauci has. Uh, so they're, they're, they're covering up their uh, little puppet. I, I can't sure. understand how that could be legal. Uh, it, it, it's not under, a, under a Freedom of Information Act request, looking at the finance of a government organization shouldn't be a problem. Why, why on earth would any of that detail be redacted? 
that there is no good reason. So that that's that's the smoking gun in itself. Yeah. But when you come into a legal proceeding and that's all redacted, well, you don't have any evidence. You, you don't have any proof because it's all redacted. You can't actually point your finger at what it is. So in, in this case, uh, he, he's covered. But we know, we all know. I mean, you you look at the, the dealings that he's had and he, he's gotten kickbacks from Pfizer and Moderna and all of them. He, he Not only that, the, the thing is, is let, let, let's assume that he's not taken any kickbacks from those corporations. Let's say he's not done that. Where's his investments? Where's his stocks? Look at that. Because if if he has stocks and investments in, in uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and then he's doing uh, uh, passing these uh, vaccinations and causing record profits, well, that's only going to help his stock return. So uh, you could still get him on. He, he's he's yeah. insider uh, trading, if you will. Well, it's that at the very least. I mean, Gates is on record and on camera saying that the return on his philanthropic, in air quotes, actions uh, and investments in the vaccine companies was going to see that he got a 20-fold return on his investment, which is huge, you know. So Fauci is obviously in a position where he gets to direct people to sign off on these things. And, and of course, he's going to be on the take. Okay, I've got no, I've got no proof because I haven't even seen the redacted documents. But if Rand Paul is asking the questions and pushing in that direction, you can bet that when the unredacted copies are issued and examined by a legal team, Fauci will be hung out to dry. I don't think that'll happen under this administration, uh, unfortunately. You might see something if there is a quote-unquote red wave or whatever they're calling it. Um, if that happens, you might see the actual redacted. But the problem is, is the, the, the redactions are happening by the bureaucrats, not by the elected officials. The elected officials are the ones trying to get the information. The bureaucrats, the, the deep state, if you will, is the yeah. one that's covering everything. So, I mean, and this is this is in light of there. Uh, I forget which organization it is exactly. It's not the FDA, but there's one of the VRBPAC. Uh, that's the Vaccines the and that? Related Biological Products Advisory Committee. We actually have they one are, of those. Yeah, they're approving the Pfizer and Moderna shots for infants six months old. Yeah. Or, which I think they already approved that. By the way... Uh, this vaccination that they've approved is for the alpha strain that no longer exists. It is extinct at this point. And uh, the, the uh, adverse effects in that, in that group, uh, if you will, for the kids, uh, keep in mind, the kids uh, six, six months and older, 74.2% uh, of them have already had COVID. A, a good portion of that was um, actually since December 2021. One in 71 have an adverse effect, the kids, from these vaccinations. Um, and uh, the, the number go, is pretty high for infants as well, even higher than that, I believe. And, and they just approved it. it. It has no relevancy to the current pandemic or what's left of it. There is no uh, effect for it. And then when you start getting jabbed with it, it actually causes negative efficacy. And it's not just negative efficacy against COVID, it's causing uh, the T-cell breakdown and it's causing uh, negative efficacy against everything. You're you're more likely to get sick, period. But they're okaying it anyway. This is absolutely criminal. To add a cherry on top of that cake that you're baking there, how would you feel if you had Pfizer executives actually say, we don't really have a clear understanding of how that vaccine works anyway? This late in the game, how would you feel if you actually heard that? I would kind of expect that from Pfizer executives uh -huh. because... They're not clinicians. They're not research scientists. They are hard-nosed finance business types. Mm -hmm. And that's why people like, it'll come to me in a second, not Malone, but uh, Yeadon, Mike Yeadon. That's why he and they parted company, because he was in one of those executive roles, but was also a research scientist. Yeah, And, and I think... Not wishing to put words into his mouth, but I've listened to a lot of uh, his recent broadcasts. He removed himself from the situation because he 
couldn't go along with what was happening. And he basically was cancelled. And when he's tried to speak out about it, he's been further ghosted and 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 just ignored. And it's only the the underground media that has allowed us to hear what the man actually had to say. I do have some clips of him as well that we can get to, um, which I'm I'm happy to do that because he's he's recently done a new interview and there is some audio that we haven't played yet. But since you bring it up, I think now's a good time. But I want to play this first. This is an online meeting between Pfizer and the FDA about what their vaccine actually does. And do they even know what it does? I guess I'm a little bit confused about uh, this uh, dosing in terms of micrograms because your dosing is three micrograms. The Moderna dosing is 25 micrograms. Uh, clearly, we're thinking in terms of micrograms the way we would think of proteins as a way of inducing an immune response. And yet the purpose of mRNA is to induce protein production. So is your, pro- is your mRNA just more efficient at making cells produce protein? Or how should we think of micrograms in terms of the amount of spike protein that's produced by the cells. Can you kind of clarify that? Yeah, I'll leave to Moderna to describe the nature of how they uh, uh, address their vaccine dosage. But I think, obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. So you have to go by the results. Uh, He literally said they don't have a clear understanding of how the vaccine works in terms of producing a spike protein. I see. The uh, this uh, this vaccine that uh, they just approved for the kids, I was reading into it a little bit more, uh, not knowing how it works. Well, here you go. Not only do they not know how it works, but they're skewing their research data. Pfizer claimed to test five thousand or excuse me, four thousand five hundred and twenty six participants, all between the ages of six months old to uh, four years old. Now, of those uh, in that group. Only 82 children between the ages of 6 to 23 months and 140, uh, 143 children ages 2 to 4 years uh, had no prior COVID infection. So uh, the, the very small um, control group, if you will, or placebo group, whatever you want to call it. Um, that when they did the tests, all the other ones have had COVID already. The other thing that's uh, a little bit uh, uh, deceptive about this, the, the remainder they had retroactive comparisons between people ages 16 to 25 from previous infection. Uh, it, so previous, um, not, not just infections, but uh, uh, variants. So they went and tested old variants against an old vaccine and skewed their data showing that, hey, this works for kids when they only had what, like 220 or 230 kids that they were actually in the in the group, everything else was all skewed data. So they're falsifying their data in all of this, which we've already known they were doing that anyway. But this this is they're doing it right in front of our faces at this point. Where did they get five to six thousand kids from? What kind of parents are offering their six month old? To, to be vaccinated. Have you um, seen? They're just blood samples. They're just, they're they're blood, just blood samples. samples in this. They're not actually vaccinating the kids in, okay. the, in this experiment. It, it's just a blood sample. Okay, right. Oh, okay, fair, fair enough. But as Bruce says, with such a small number of them um, never having had COVID, it makes no sense. It's, it's not a big enough um, sample to... To, to make any conclusion from it, because we all know, and I've even heard it said on mainstream media, it seems that the best way to be safe against COVID is to catch COVID and survive because your own immune system deals with it. Uh, and um, so the, the other 4,800 test samples are completely invalid. It, any vaccine should be tested on someone who has not been exposed to the virus, because that way you would know that there is no chance of there being antibodies in their system or in their blood sample. And I'm not yeah. a doctor, you know, so if right, I know right. that. But you're no, but you're just looking at it from common sense and, and, and the most logical standpoint based on what knowledge you have of basic medicine for yourself and taking care of yourself. That's how anybody would 
normally look at it from a common sense standpoint, Bruce looks like he just found something. 61% of the babies, six months old to two month, uh, two years old, experienced a systemic reaction within seven days to the vaccination. Uh-huh. Now, 61%. We, know, we know that Pfizer's no stranger to burying data. We know that. I mean, they tried to bury the clinical trials for 75 years, and they weren't able to do it. And of course, you notice that they haven't talked about that. But to the spike protein, to that point, the Pfizer exec, you heard him say, well, we don't have a clear understanding of how that works and how that how that is produced. You don't? Are you sure? Former vice president of Pfizer and chief scientific officer, the person you brought up, Marty, Dr. Mike Yaden, he was speaking to an individual we actually played here last week. He was speaking to Majid Nawaz about this particular yeah. thing. He was on his show, and this is what he had to say. And so what you should do is pick the bit of the virus that's genetically most stable. Now, I don't know that we knew it at the beginning, but it's certainly true now that the thing that that undergoes variation most quickly is the spike protein. Um, you know, that's a shame. So now, now you've picked something that's going to rapidly go out of focus. You know, it'll rapidly uh, evolve to a different variant, and your vaccine won't work anymore. But and then but here's something else they definitely did know. You would pick a part of the virus that is, this is important, most different from humans. Uh, so viruses and humans and fungi and bacteria are all living organisms. They have some relationships because we all probably originated from the same, you know, instantiation of life, you know, however that happens. And then there's been evolution ever since. And so the similarities and differences. What you do is you, you can run searches and you can find a bit of the virus that's most virusy and most dissimilar from anything else that's in your body. And if you do that, you don't pick spike protein. Spike protein is slightly similar to lots of bits of human. Not very, slightly similar to lots of bits of human. Guess what happens if you do that? You make an immune response to bits of protein that look a bit like you. And sometimes you end up with a spillover that's called an autoimmune response so just to yeah. say again you deselect things that are toxic in their own right you pick things that are genetically stable and you pick things that are most different from humans all three of those in the words of patents they teach away they would teach you away from picking spike protein but guess what moderna picks spike protein oh and so does pfizer and astrazeneca and johnson and johnson yeah. so i put it to you colleagues any scientists out there or just logical people, how the hell would they pick? No team I was ever part of would ever have picked bloody spike protein for this virus, this vaccine. And you know what? If we if we did and we had competing groups, we would not all four of us make mistake. The same mistake is not possible. Good job, discoverers. But it's not a mistake. Mike, can you not a that's mistake. not a mistake then? So I believe it's collusion and malfeasance. They did it on purpose, knowing it would hurt you. Um... Based on what he just said there, I don't disagree. I, I, I don't I, I can't come to any other conclusion off of that. As I was telling Bruce, I know you, I know you stepped away for a second, but I, as I was telling Bruce, I believe him. Oh, yeah, I, I, I trust that guy. I trust Mike Eden and that look on uh, Nawaz's face uh -huh. um, at the the sheer power of what Mike Eden had just said is quite amazing. And it, it's shock. He never. He didn't expect that answer. He didn't expect that much honesty. And, and I'm assuming we can get that put onto the Telegram channel so the listeners can see it as well. It's yeah? already there. It's already there. It's already there. Yeah. Sure. So with all of that, I suppose we can take a listen to. Like I said, I've got other clips of him, but I suppose we can look at what it was all about. This is again. This is Dr. Mike Yaden. Forget all the details. I think the. The, the the thing we must I, I want to stop happening is the imposition of what I call the control grid. If people show up to be vaccinated or for any other reason and become a mandatory digital ID, if you're told you have to present this ID, Roman, before we'll let you get on a, an aeroplane, it's like if everyone is in that position before they can cross any regulated threshold, be it enter a restaurant, leave your home, start your Tesla, enter a plane, go into a food store. That means whoever owns the database and the algorithm has complete control, totalitarian control of your life forever. You'll never be, you can't, you can't undo it. So I, I plead to people, even if you buy what the government's been telling you, please be aware and resist, object to the digital control grid. Right? Because I don't see anywhere, do not see 
any way of undoing it. Once it's done, no one's going to, it will not be possible to remove it because it will just become how, how people do things. It's like, you know, post-terrorist things, you end up within, in, with enhanced security at airports. It, we can't imagine that going away, can we? People would think, well, why are you, you know, now I feel vulnerable. So once, if that digital control system of mandatory digital ID, which you have to present before any purchase or trans transition across any regulated threshold, once that's in place, it will never be, it will never be uh, lifted. And that means the people who own the database and the algorithm, if they decide to say, I'm just saying, if they decided to kill you, there's nothing you can do about it. If they decide to say, you must turn up for your annual vaccine, and if you don't, your digital ID will become invalid, which is what they will do. That's what they announced. I had a biometric digital ID in the United Arab Emirates, and so does every uh, citizen and expat in the UAE. They do retinal scans, they fingerprint you, uh, and it's all put into a chip. And the level of surveillance that you are under with such an ID I have experienced and at the time I found it quite benign um you know I didn't find it a problem but when it's put into context like that it is a problem and people need to realize it's it's a problem for example there were other people that I had sponsored into the country and if they left the country I would get an SMS that said such and such has has just crossed the border. And I'd know when they were coming back into the country because I'd get another SMS. Every telephone SIM card that I owned or purchased was registered to me. My vehicle, vehicles were registered to me and all linked through this ID card. Everything about your life was linked through this digital ID. So I've experienced it. I didn't find it oppressive then but i also knew that i wasn't going to be there forever and if i if i had have been there still i would have been forced to have the vaccine or be deported as it's have as they, simple as that th this is this is an interesting question because i i know i know that you still have contacts out there this is an interesting question and we know what's been happening out there they've basically mandated it on on everybody has that actually happened to all of their citizenry has everybody in the united arab emirates been vaccinated yeah really yeah Everyone I know was who, who's remained there as an expat has been vaccinated. Wow. And and you can bet the locals were as well, because many of them live in the smaller emirates like Um Al Quain, uh in Sharjah, uh and uh Ras Al Khaima. They they live in the smaller emirates but work in the bigger emirates like Abu Dhabi and Dubai. So they have to cross the borders and there are distinct borders um you know on on the road system and those borders were shut during covid during the lockdowns and if people needed to get to work or or visit let's say and i'm not being flippant let's say they've got one wife in one emirate and another wife in another which they are perfectly entitled to do under their faith they would have to have been vaccinated to get around to see their family and family is incredibly important to, oh, yeah. to emiratis but again don't forget it's an incredibly wealthy country, but there are only just under a million Emiratis. The other six and a half million people in the country are all expats, and they are all there under under notice of deportation if they break any rule. So, uh, you know, they're, they're there for the money because whether you're a construction worker, a taxi driver, or a business consultant, you are earning around about three to three and a half times what you could earn in your own country. So everybody is keen to remain there and keep those levels of earnings up. Their, their jobs are very important. If you find yourself without a job, you've got basically 30 days to find another one or you're out. It's as simple as that. And, and of course, with the ID card, they can shut down everything, so you you can't you you're allowed to go there and self sustain if you can if you're rich enough to pay for all of your needs. It's like Switzerland, but if you're there, yeah, if you're there to work and are working, once you lose your job, you you either have to prove that you can sustain yourself by declaring your wealth, or you have to leave. That's a um. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm glad he made the connection there with the social credit system, because that's literally yes. what we've been talking about. 
That's literally what we've been saying. This is what's coming. So I, I do appreciate the the connection there. And the thing is, is we, we've seen the, the levels of fraud that these companies are willing to undergo. Why? Why would they commit these kind of uh, levels of fraud when these companies are all about creating products that are to help people, right? They're, they're making drugs to, uh, that are supposed to help cure, or, uh, or are they? The, the NHS recently tried to sell data um, to Big Pharma. Um, Big Pharma were, des- were desperate for it. Oh, but it's worse than that. They stopped- we talked about it. We talked about it a couple of days ago privately. We can talk about that if you like. Yeah, but now it it was stopped on the face of it. But even when I went to my pharmacist, the local shop pharmacist recently, um, I was asked if I wanted to do everything online, and I said no, I don't want to do everything online because if I do that, you've got a full record of data. Uh, that, that you can sell on. Oh, no, we wouldn't do that. It's linked to the NHS site. I said, well, they were trying to sell it as well. And somebody else runs that that website for you. You don't run it yourself. So they could sell it. And it's all about working out what is keeping us all alive, what drugs they can charge the most for, uh, and that movement to get rid here in the UK, to get rid of the NHS so it's not free at point of delivery and that it has to be a um, healthcare insurance setup like you have in the States. You know, there's a company that was uh, that's interested in acquiring 360 million pounds worth of a data platform uh, for the NHS in England. The name of the company is called Palantir. Palantir was founded by... Peter Thiel, I'm sure you've heard the name before, and another gentleman named Alexander Karp. Both of those gentlemen just attended the meeting at Bilderberg. This also happens to be a company that has deep connections within the American CIA and a lot of the intelligence communities. Matter of fact, that's their number one customer. Uh, Bruce, you did a little bit of looking just on the surface. We'll get more into this later on, but you did a little bit of... um, a little bit of looking into this company. This is a little concerning, is it not? Yeah, I, I didn't get to uh, do as deep of a dive into the, the company as I wanted, obviously, because uh, power issues and whatnot. So it's a little difficult to surf the web when you have no electricity. But the surface level digging I did do, yeah, the, the first customer of that company was the uh, U.S. intelligence agencies. Uh, and since then, they've branched off into doing, uh, you know, into the medical world and uh, scraping data. Uh, in fact, this company provides a service for, um, I forget how many thousand, uh, medical facilities here in the United States. I I think it's well over 2000 that, uh, basically you go into the doctor's office, uh, they hand you a tablet and you fill out all the paperwork on the tablet and hidden away inside there. Well, as you're signing your life away, there's a, uh, terms of service and you'll, you'll, kind of miss that because, you know, you think it's just the other documents, the other paperwork you have to sign. Yeah, people, most people just, uh, okay, whatever, sign your name to it. Mm -hmm. I agree. And And, yeah, little do you know, uh, that little agreement that you just uh, uh, accepted was um, that company scraping all your medical data. They data mine the data. They, they go in and mine it as you're filling out the paperwork so that when you're done and you're, you, you press send, you immediately get thrown an ad pertinent to your medical condition and they will show some kind of medication or treatment that is custom tailored for you and your medical report. Now, they claim this data is all um, follows HIPAA regulations because the way it's worded is um, uh, the, the, you know, the medical provider and the, the associating company that's helping them manage things are allowed that information. Um, that's one hell of a stretch the way it's uh, worded. But anyway, they claim they don't sell that information. Um, uh-huh. They claim it's only for them. And uh-huh. that, hey, that very well could be. But my other problem is, is you're working with the government. You're you're in bed with the government. So what other kind of deals are you doing? Because the uh, tinfoil hat time, back when Obamacare was uh, being pushed on us, uh, there were some whistleblowers going, hey, uh, there's some stuff in here about chipping and and essentially the beginnings of social credit system in here, all tied to medical health care. And you, you just so happen to be a company that's doing exactly that. Yeah, 
says here that uh, the it, procurement document says that the uh, the FDP will be built on uh, uh, five use cases. Uh, they include population health and person insight, care coordination, and an integrated care system that covers elective recovery, vaccines and immunization, and supply chain. One last thing about that company. One of the programs that they run, actually their main program that they run, didn't you catch the name of that? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. The name of it was something about Gotham. That's right. And I thought it was funny because Gotham is from the DC universe. That's the city of Batman where he's, uh, yeah. Now, well, I John, find I, funny. Yeah, go on. I, I, sorry. Just, I think that this is, I'm uh, sorry, this is just too much power for one entity to have. It, it's way too much power. But one of them is called Teal, did you say? Peter Teal, yeah. He's and actually other- one of the co-founders of PayPal along with Elon Musk. And Alexander Karp was the other one, yeah. There's, there's more that's, investors. That's, that, yeah. That's where I'd heard his name before, but um, and the other one was Carp. Teal and Carp are both things that I've hunted in dark green rivers. Teal is a small type of duck, and a carp is a fish. Um, so the, the, these things are swimming in in murky waters, and they've got appropriate names. But you you were going to say something? I, I just want to tell you about my trip to the de- to the dentist. Yeah, um, go on. Just yeah, a couple go, of no, days I was, ago. I was literally just going to say what I said, and that was that's just too much power for one group of people or a company to have. It is. It's, it's way too much power, way too much access to, to very sensitive data that can they can use to control what you're allowed to have and what you're offered. And, it's exactly and, what Yen said. It goes right yeah. into that. Everything folds into that. But your, your trip to the dentist... I had to go to the dentist. I hadn't been to the dentist since COVID, since the lockdowns, because every time I had an appointment, my dentist practice uh, cancelled it for me. And because I was lucky enough to get an NHS place, because there's not many NHS dentists in the country, most dentists are private and they charge triple what the NHS dentists do. So I've got there slightly ahead of schedule, maybe 10 minutes early and I've walked into the reception and the receptionist has asked my name. I've told him my name and said, are you okay wearing a mask in the waiting room? I said, no, no, I'm not. They're completely useless. Why would I be okay with that? So he said, well, can I just ask you to wait outside? So I'm waiting outside and I've also, it's also been explained to me by this time that there's going to be a 40 minute wait further than my appointment time because they're running behind schedule because they are so short-staffed. And while I'm waiting outside, a couple arrive, a man in his 80s and a woman who was maybe 50, but possibly 40. She was incredibly overweight. And the gentleman said to me, oh, have we got to wait outside? I said, no, I have to wait outside because I refuse to wear one of those stupid masks. And the large lady, at which point, pulled on a rainbow-patterned sort of sequined mask over her face. She was already breathless, having just walked up an entire three steps to get to the door. Oh, goodness. And so she's she's put one of these masks on and gone in, making herself more hypoxic. And she sat there. I thought the woman was going to die, quite frankly. I, I could see her through the, through the glass of the door. Her whole chest was heaving as she's trying to draw in breath. And this guy... 80 years old at least, he also had to wear a mask. Even at the height of COVID lockdown and restrictions in the UK, people of a certain age didn't have to wear a mask if they didn't want to because of uh, of medical conditions. And and the biggest thing that made me laugh, on the door of the, the dentist had a sign and it said mandatory and then a picture of someone you know, wearing a mask. And then under it, it says patients are requested to wear a mask. So is it mandatory or is it request? Because if it's a request, I can just ignore it. It's not mandatory. You've just got a sign that says it is. And it just made me so angry. I was in a real bad mood with the dentist, the receptionist, the whole practice. And then when the guy told me that the cost of a hygienist appointment, uh, the dental hygienist, had gone up by £20 in two years... I, he wanted me to pay a deposit. And I went, just as I was about to hand my card over to pay the deposit, I went, do you know what? I'm going to find a cheaper hygienist and just walked out. 
and he had to call me back, which is really embarrassing because I hadn't paid for the checkup. So I had to pay for that anyway. But yeah, it just made me very angry and it shows how ridiculous the whole setup is. Just imagine how much better it's going to be once they get everything in. Get all of the the um yeah uh, all the, the social credit and measures and, the, and, the, and yeah, yeah yeah the digital IDs and and everything. Imagine how much better it's going to be and how much how much more easy it's going to be for you to get care after that's in. I'm saving up for a horse because I won't be able to get fuel for for a vehicle. Um, is fuel so I, I need some way to ride off into the sunset. So I need a horse. <laughs> You already have a boat. A horse, a horse. My kingdom for a horse. <laughs> yeah, but I still need fuel for that. I could. Yeah, I will have true. to create some form of sail. That is true. That is true. Uh, just real quick, uh, we brought up Palantir, and I found a, a fun little extra tidbit here. Uh, Morgan Stanley uses their system along with uh, Merck and Airbus and Fiat Chrysler. Huh. They Those are some all use. big companies. Interesting names, too, because they're uh-huh. all uh, ESG companies. Uh-huh. Yeah. They most certainly are. Okay, um, I don't have anything else today, uh, Marty. As per custom, uh, end of the week. This is your night when you're on. Final words. Give you the last word. No, I tell you what, I, I, I've got nothing else to say because I stripped the bed earlier on because it's so hot. I've washed the linen. I need to remake the bed before bedtime because there is nothing worse than walking into your bedroom and finding that the bed's not made. That is so true. yeah, I'm, I'm happy to end it there. And, and go and do my chores. Very good, very good. Be careful when you shake the duvet out because as we saw in the Daily Mirror, if you shake the duvet too many times, that could kill you. So just be careful. Be careful if you do that. Actually, with my arthritis, it's not far from it. So yeah, <laughs> I, I will be careful. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week. So for those of you who would like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener. And we would humbly ask you to pass this along to five friends. You know someone you're trying to wake up. You know someone you're trying to get to think on their own. We'd appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. Gentlemen, thank you for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great weekend and we will see you on Monday. Cheers, guys. Night-night.